The Center for Minorities in the Mathematical Sciences presents Mathematically Uncensored. Where our talk is real and complex, but never discreet. Welcome to Mathematically Uncensored. Where our talk is real and complex, but never discreet. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. I, I just come from the last couple of days. I've been in Paradigms. Yes. Which has been a great... So what does Paradigms stand for? It's, it's a graduate student meeting where graduate directors in mathematics come together and we have some conversations and panels and talks. And so I was participating in that in the, like they have 3 p.m. like office hours, not office hours, but like in between talks, people just get in yeah. the virtual room and just have those talks. And for some reason, I like those more than just the, let me listen to somebody talk for 30 minutes or whatever. So I was in those. So so informal conversations, more, more informal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even one of the panelists, Regan Huggins, Dr. Regan Huggins, I think, was saying that, you know, she prefers to just, let's just talk it out as opposed to somebody talking the whole time, so. Yeah, especially when we're talking about supporting students of color, it's difficult to just be like, let me show you all the data of how underrepresented we are. Because right. we've been telling you this <laughs> for forever. <laughs> Right. Yes. Let me tell yes. you again so that maybe this time you'll do something different. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, I've just been thinking about, you know, that, so we were in one of these sessions and somebody was saying the same thing that we've been, that I've just, I, I guess I've just been hearing for some time about how is it that we can be good allies? How is it that we reach the right people right. in order to, yeah. And so just this, again, this dichotomy between, trying to figure out who's on our side, who's not on our side. Should we take the time to find allies? Should we... I feel like we had a competing perspective on this. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> so, do you build your yeah. own organization yes. or do you continue to work with the established yes. ones? We certainly yes, yes. did. And, you know, there is no strong answer here, right? Because, you know, it, it works both ways, right? It's one of these things where it's hard to find the people who are going to just be like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to be allies to the cause, real allies to the cause, right? And so, yeah, so that's that's been a struggle. So I, it, tied to that, I've just been thinking about silence and just the detrimental. So, so let me just be clear about this to all my wannabe allies that it, it is, you know, we've called it comfort, but in a lot of ways it's tied. Your silence is the, is, will be the litmus test of how much of an ally you are. Yes. Right? And so, yeah, so that means, and I mean across the board, let me just be clear that and consistent that you can't be just the ally when you come to work, right? You have to be the ally when you're at home sitting your ass on the couch. You have to be the ally when you're watching Netflix. You have to be the ally across the board. And oh, what does that mean? That means that when you're at your virtual Thanksgiving and you hear uncle so-and-so Say what he said every fucking year, the past year, that's you racist and not okay. Yes, yes, that's right. And again, let's be clear that something, now thankfully we're mathematically oriented, so we know that something is simply the opposite of nothing. 
So that means whether it's like, that's not cool, or here we go again, whatever, anything, say anything, right? And so here we go. Oh, I hear them. They're like, but wait, that then we're not going to have a good time at Thanksgiving. Good, or, don't have a good time. Yes, Our right. people are getting murdered that's in the streets. Right. That's right. We haven't been having a good time in <laughs> centuries. <laughs> that's right. You're not having a good Thanksgiving. But wait, what happens? When the moment he said this, you weren't having mm. a good Thanksgiving. Mm. The moment that this was said, the Thanksgiving already went off the rails. So your mm. silence is not going to help that. So, so when, when people say, how can I be a better ally? Again, we're talking about a lot about this in a lot of the other work we're doing. Go back and do an audit. Yes. How often have you been silent when this stuff has been said? Right. And so, yeah, I just think. Wait, can we do what about this exercise? Okay. Now, now you're like setting me on fire today. Okay. (laughs) So, so people, people act in ways that preserves either their, their self image, their, right? It's a self preservation thing. And so, here's what I would like to offer that maybe, maybe touches upon different, a different way in which they might react. Okay. Let's suppose that they're not going to say shit. They're just going to sit there and they're just going to smile and eat their apple pie. Yeah. Can you promise that you will donate $50 every time your ass stays silent yes. Yes. to Black Lives Matter? Yes. Okay, because yes. if you're going to make a call that your voice, you're not going to use it to help other people in a, in a position of power, you're not going to do it, then maybe your money, then maybe, maybe your yes. money could, could help out. Yes, absolutely right. Do something. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can no. already hear the conversation going from like, well, you know, I don't, I only see Uncle Fred once a year and I really don't want to tarnish our friendship. Oh, God. Okay. Yes. I, I can already see something like that. Or then they'll say, right. So first, they'll, they'll, people will use the excuse that you don't see your family very often. And so you don't want to make this an uncomfortable situation because you still have to eat this apple pie next to these people. And you don't want to get yes. diarrhea the next day. Yes. Okay. Because you're so stressed out. Okay. <laughs> So what I'm saying is then they use the same excuse when they're in in their department. Well, then I always have to be next to these people. Yes. And so it's like you can't use the same excuse in every setting. You can't have it both ways. Yes. No, but again, I'm not going to normalize people hearing this stuff and still. Look, if you can hear Uncle So-and-So say this stuff and then have a good Thanksgiving Mm. Then we got prob- Then we are not on the same side, right? No, we're not I on mean, the same side at all. And so, and look, I get that when this stuff is said that I, as a black man in this country, as a person of color in this country, will have a visceral, disgusting reaction in which my humanity and identity has been called into question. And I, I understand that white people will never be able to have that type of reaction upon hearing it. But can't can we? I have ten percent. About, no, no, right? I, mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So that when you hear this, it's just like, hold up, like this is this is this is terrible, right? That that hopefully you can't be like, oh, I had a good Thanksgiving. So and so said this, but you know, we got over it. Mm. Like, no, no, that's not how my ally works. You're not my ally if that's what's happening, right? So then and, maybe yeah. we need. Can can we come up with like a checklist? Like, have you ever seen these these like fake quizzes on Facebook? And then it's I like, so. you know, how how big of a Art Kelly fan are you? <laughs> and then you like, do you know all the lyrics to all the songs that's in right, the 1997 right. CD? You that's know, right. Space Jam? 
That's right. And then the answer is, you 97% fan, right? So it's like, can we do that version for white allies? We can, we can. I think that's what we need to do. Uh, okay. We need okay, to come right. up with, with you know, a hundred questions. Levels. Yes. Yeah, a hundred yes. questions. And you check the box. Have Are you doing this consistently? And then it gives you a score of how bad of a terrible ally you've yeah. been. Yeah. Because yeah. you know what? We can no longer continue to have these white people who say that they're our allies. But then every time they fuck up, they look at us and they're like, oh, well, you're always pushing on me. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm right. done. I'm done. Right. Well, no, and that, that was the problem that I think that I'm having because I, so you know where I'm going. Uncomfortable, uncomfortable, hard conversation, hard conversation, because I think that's where the work is. And too often I see people who are just only having surface levels conversations. Let me, let me step back and say Paradigms has been great. Yes. Let me just yeah, say that. Yeah. And sure. particularly right now, I'm missing a session where they're talking about distinguished programs and graduate mm-hmm. programs or whatever, which is where I think we need to go. And so, yeah, I've been thinking about, you know, really the two things. I was, I've been thinking about really calling out those graduate programs that we need to not send our people to. Yes. But really thinking more so now, you know, about what are the 20 to 25 programs that we definitely need to send our people to. Yeah. exclusively only who actually passed the test that we set. So I just wanted to say that Paradigms has been fantastic, right? But, you know, in three days, still surface level conversation, right? And yeah. what does that mean? And I say this with love because I think, you know, those they have set up something fantastic and it's the first year and next year is going to be harder and more in depth. I believe that. But, you know, in terms of the work that you and I do and going deeper and deeper and deeper, I heard presenters who were pushing, pushing, and then I heard other people go, well, you know, you need to do this, you need to do this, and nobody wants to just go ahead and say, I failed at this. Here's where I struggled at this. Here's where I am failing in my department. My department's not doing this, 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 and this, right? They're not ready, though, because they're trying to continue to self like the self-preservation is so deeply yes. rooted in the mathematical community. We don't admit that we're wrong. Hell, like yes. your entire, your proof is wrong. Yes. Shame right. to you and your family, right? It's like, yes. no, we're not going to admit that we've failed at anything, right? Yes. And here's the thing. You put, you're putting together a group of people who have never failed. They're the, they're, they're the epitome of their field, right? They've mm, they're the winners. The, they're they're yeah. the winners. They're the winners. Yeah. You're, you're asking the winners to admit when they've failed? Yeah. They don't yeah. even know how to. The yes. reason why you and I are okay doing that is because we know what that feels like. We know what yes. it feels like to continually claw our way up, to be yes. noticed, to fight consistently, yes. to make place for us, to make yes. space for us in the mathematical community. That is what we carry in our being, being right. a fighter. Yeah, no, that, there is something to that. So we had this great conversation about how is it that we can find the right people, right? And, and Reagan was clear that she is just tired of, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard work to tell these stories. Yes. And then someone said, well, maybe we can get someone to tell the stories for you, right? And they went through all of that. Thankfully, <sighs> I was muted because it's like, you can't, it's hard. It's hard to try and tell a traumatic story on behalf of somebody else. Right. Yes. I mean, and then people were talking about, well, maybe you need to maybe read not when and- it's not, maybe not when you don't identify with the people whose story you're telling. Maybe it's not hard. 
Yes. Oh, maybe. Maybe maybe, I, maybe that's the thing, right? Who is saying they'll tell our stories? Who yeah. gets to tell our stories? Yes. People that do not feel kinship, that do not feel it in their blood when they read this terrible things that happened to us during graduate programs. Yes. Those yes. are the people that then get an NSF grant to study us like yes. we're fucking bugs in a jar. That's right. That's right. No, and you you're helping me because that's it. It is that that that's exactly it. Thank you. I heard no pain. That's I it. I didn't hear any pain over these three days. It was amazing. And th- this is not the only place. But where is the pain? Wait, so if, when you, where is the suffering? Because one of the questions was, how do we change people's minds? Mm-hmm. How do we get people to do the right thing? Right? And again, as, as we said, oh my God, we do so many things together. I was thinking with so the podcast. Many. But we, <laughs> in another conversation, you and I were talking about how is it that we can do that? And we have to appeal either to somebody's sense of morality about what is right or wrong, or we have to line their pockets and That's improve it. their career. Right? It's one of these two things. And so, you know, Reagan correctly said that I don't have any time to change anybody's minds. And Amen. we don't change anybody's minds. No. We try and get people to change their policies, even if they keep the same terrible orientation. That's you can right. have all of this bad orientation and still change these rules That's that right. help people out. But yes, no, I heard no pain. I heard no suffering. I heard, I did not hear people. So I heard students. I didn't hear that from the presenters, right? Mm-hmm. So when, mm-hmm. when I was there at the open office hours, I had to hear Marissa tell her gut-wrenching story. Yes. And by the way, once you hear that, there should be, there's nothing else to talk about. Yeah. Right? You should feel should like you need to set everything on fire to make it right. so that she never has that experience absolutely ever again. And correct. no other student coming forward should That's ever right. have that experience. That's exactly right. So, so she tells her story. Finally, that's been put at the center. But the question is, can we have a panel where we have five people and pay them a lot of money to come on and just tell their painful story. Amen. To change the whole discipline. Can we have an entire AMS notices about the pain of our graduate students in these programs, right? So yeah, and I I know that uh, a book came out recently where people gave their stories about- Yes, um, Living Proof. Living Proof, right. I need one of those with just pain. I need one yeah. of those. With yeah, let's get real. Suffering. That, that book, yes. listen. Okay, so Uh-oh. I have a piece in that book and other people got pieces in that book and yes. I know lots of people in that book. And then I was like, y'all brought your PGS version of your oh, pain. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, no. No, no. Okay. No, no, no. And I'm worried that it was edited. Oh, I'm it was worried. edited. Oh, it yes. was it was edited. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I have problem with people's pain, you know, being edited. And again, I don't know how, exactly how, so I have no comments about well, that. Well, it's but... for public consumption. So, and who's so, the audience? Yeah. And so, you know what? And, and yeah, I got no time for that. And this is exactly why, you know, you know, we have to go the independent route, right? Yes. The last thing I need is for somebody to be like, oh, can you tighten it, make this, lighten this up? This is a little too heavy. It's just real. It's what happened. Right. Yes. So don't don't make yes. me lighten up what happened. Right? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So you help me out a lot with that, because it is about where are the hard places? And that's going to be my litmus test. I'm going to go to these talks. I need to hear about where is the ch- where are the challenging questions, where are the questions that challenge the status quo, where are the where are the hard, radical ideas like where is it? Because yeah. I'm hearing the same stuff over and over again. 
No, and it's interesting. So I, I gave a talk this Saturday. So I was nominated, you know, we talked about this at the last podcast, how, you know, I, I got nominated for a teaching award and, and the yeah. Northeast sectional gave me this yes. distinguished teaching award. Yes. And uh, it was by far, I think, one of the hardest talks I had to give. And it wasn't mm. because I don't know what it is I do well. Right. Like I, I know what it is that I do in the classroom that I think is replicable and, and small changes. Right. Like, I mean, yes. you and I have been doing this work. Like we talk about it every time we're together. Yes. But I thought I thought exactly what you, you were just pointing out, that unless there's a reason for them to understand why I do what I do, yes. then it just feels like I'm just following a recipe. Yes. Right. But and, and so I talk about change in crisis. Right. Like I yes. said, why did my pedagogy pe pedagogy change? Like, when yes. did that happen? And that happened because I I've been at so many different institutions, Eris. Right. Like I started at yes. community college. I went to a, a religious school for bachelor's degree. I went to a large public institution. I've taught at a military academy and now at a liberal arts college. There is yeah. no type of institution I haven't been at. And there was one thing that was common in my experience through it all that mm. I was always isolated. Mm. That I was only the only one that I always felt, and I've described this, just I can't describe it any clearer than this. I have felt like I am a colorful butterfly mm. that whose wings got pinned to a bulletin board for people to stare at. That's mm. what I have always felt like, a bug in a jar at these mm. places. For many, many reasons that we would need 70 hours of podcasts for me to just tell you some of the stories. Yeah. But here's the thing. Through it all, I've tried to keep the things that have been good about those places, right? My community college, super accessible, flexible, you yes. know, all of these like things that would allow people to thrive regardless of what their life was putting them through, right? Yes. I go to this Catholic institution and it's like care for the person, both individually, but as a group, like really care about people. And yeah. then it's like, I go to a public institution, large, diverse body, full of engagement and life. I go to a military academy and it's about a goal, a mm. mutual goal, like a group goal, something that we're all going to work and strive towards. Yes. And I'm like, those are the things that I need, right? And then I was telling them, you know, but, but here's what I had done my entire academic trajectory. I have looked at feeling like an outsider, feeling like I don't belong. And what I do is I do one of three things. Here's what I delineated. I said, I, one, try to change who I am. That is the first thing I do when I'm in these spaces. And I feel like I don't belong. I try to change mm. who I am. Okay. Mm. And I've anglicized my name for 20 plus fucking years so that people potentially might stop asking me where I'm from yeah. or to go mm. back to my country. I practice my English to perfect it so that I don't have an accent. So that maybe when I call someone on the phone, they won't ask me where I'm from or tell me that they don't understand me and hang up on me like they do to my father and my mother every fucking time they have to call to make a doctor's appointment. Mm. Right? I hide my sexuality. I hide my immigration status. I hide everything. I try to change who I am so I can fit in these places and feel like I belong. That's never worked. That's never worked. So mm. then I try to change where I am. I'm like, let me change where I am. I'll find a different institution. There's a unicorn out there where it will just make me feel valued and welcome and like I belong in Kumbaja. 
Yeah. It doesn't happen. I've just told you, I've been at every single fucking type of institution known to humankind. And the feeling is always the same. So then what do I do? You have to change what you do. That's it. That's the only thing that's mm. left. So mm. that's what I've done in my teaching. I've changed what I do. I have cared about people more than I care about myself. I have committed to make change at the deepest levels. And then I have to have courage. Mm. Those are it. Those are the things that make me a teacher. I have to have courage to fight the fights that my students need me to fight, regardless of how terrible that positions me to advance in my own professional career. Yes. So that's my measure. You want to measure how to find a good ally? Those are the yes. three questions, Eris. Mm. Do these people care? Yes. Do they care enough to commit to do the work? And if they are committed, they have to be courageous beyond anything else because it will be to their detriment yes they will be considered race traitors yes when they start doing the work so for me there it is you want my answer my answer is they gotta care they gotta commit and they gotta have Mm, the courage courage. to come with it to change the fucking world and we need that anything short of that does not get to be my ally yes that's right That's right. Yeah. I'm with you 100%. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And this is why I I thank Cornell West for this, because I have no more optimism, but I have hope. I can hope, but the optimism is tied to some evidence. And right now, I don't don't have that much evidence. But I hope that some people are listening and are deciding that in everything you do, right? And no one is saying that you have to go hard 100% every single time, but the comments are no longer going to show up in your space without you giving a response, however that goes, right? Because we have to disrupt this. And by the way, I'm talking to everybody because we know how this works. We know we all have that third cousin. We -hmm. all know we have that person in our department all the way over in the corner that is doing some questionable things, saying some questionable things in our space. And yeah, we just can't have it if you're rolling with us. That's right. Yeah. So roll with us, care, commit, and have the courage. Yes, I love that. Well, Thanksgiving is coming up. Yeah, it is. So yeah, again, you know, just, I'm in a space where I I have a small family. I've always had a small family in some sense since, you know, I was about 12 or 13. So people didn't even know that I was, you know, I wasn't even supposed to be born. They told my mother she couldn't have children. And then all of a sudden I show up Mm. and I come out in the world and everybody's old already. Oh, (laughs) So I roll out and like, like I have a first, yes, I have a first cousin that's like 72. Oh, damn. Okay, you're not playing. Yeah, no, I, I come out and I'm just this kid. And like, so I, I, when I was much, much younger, I do remember like over in my grandmother's house where all the people would come over to her house. Her house would be Grand Central for Thanksgiving. And I do have great memories about that. But as time went on and I got older, people started to pass away. So like mm-hmm. I've got like seven people that are like in my family proper, mm-hmm. you know, between here and in the Atlanta area and in D.C. And so like I, it's me, my wife, my daughter, then I got my aunt and her two sons. And that's it, right? In terms mm-hmm. of like blood family. So... I I bring this up only because I don't know how other people, because I know a lot of other people out there are suffering because 
they have first cousins and so forth that they right. want to see, that they only see during Thanksgiving. And now what's going on now doesn't allow for that. So, you know, right. much hope and love to those people who were Thanksgiving. You know, I'm just, I'm just I'm lucky that my Thanksgiving, I get to be with all of my family in a lot of ways, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I wonder a lot about, you know, my students. So when I first started at Williams, you know, I, that was for me my crisis, right? Like just being at the bottom of of my emotional well-being, like for yes. sure 2017 was, was a very rough year for me. But that fall, it was the first time I ever invited students over to my house for Thanksgiving. Mm. And then I, I did it three years in a row and then I had sabbatical. And so I, I couldn't, yeah. you know, and then now covid and so it's been really interesting. Oh, so it's been a while then. It's been now a while since yes. I've hosted, you know, a group of students at, in my house. And actually, it got so big, you know, that, that we couldn't fit students in our house. So <laughs> I started. Serious? Yeah, no, no. It, so the first year, it was like six students. I mean, I went all out, Eris. I bought like the fanciest of China. Like, what? I mean, I was like, I was like, I'm going to, like, I've never done that. You know, we would be yeah. eating out of styrofoam plates. I'm not trying to yes. do no dishes. But like, yeah. I went all out. So I was like, if I'm going to throw a party and I'm yes. going to have students come over, they're going to be like, they're going to remember this party. And they remember. But let me tell you, I cooked out of, I cooked macaroni. So I'm not the best of cooks. <laughs> macaroni out of a box. And okay. this is how I knew that I needed to throw these parties because one of my black kiddies that came in and was like, yeah. Professor Harris, this is the best macaroni. You just know how to throw down. And I was like, friend. That shit came out of box. What you've been eating at this like right. campus cafeteria? And then they were like, they were like, there was a like at some point like a social media frenzy where they yes. all said they all said that the Williams cafeteria made greens and the greens tasted like oppression. You know. <laughs> So they were like, Professor, your mac and cheese out this box, this craft 99 cent box was everything. And so that changed my life because I was like, yo, come on. Like my mac and cheese have a box changing lives right now. That so the great. next year, the six students each told like four students. Yes. And so... You know, they they call me like all of a sudden I'm just getting all the emails and text messages like professor so and so from chemistry also didn't get to go home. Can she come to Thanksgiving? Mm -hmm. And by the by like 3 p.m. I'm cooking like I'm cooking since the morning. Right. Yes. By 3 p.m. They're like, professor, we can't get to your house. It's too many of us. We don't have enough cars. So I just, I looked at my family and I said, somebody, I was like, Jamal, go do a run to the Walmart and pick out all these containers, like, so we can put them in the car and we can wow. go. Wow. So, you know, he went and he, my husband is an angel. He didn't question me. He just said, apparently you're not running a kitchen, but let's do it. <laughs> I was like, you wish somebody would make you dinner. And he was like, can we leave some leftovers here before the students eat it all? <laughs> so, yeah. So we loaded up the car and like I'd been hosting Thanksgiving in the seminar room. In a seminar oh, room that had a okay. table at the college that yes, sits 20 yes. plus. We would yes. just sit there and play jams and like just yes. hours playing. But, yeah. And so I got I, I got to go there. So tell me why. Why would she do this? Because what I was alone. You to do this? Mm. I was alone. I mean, so 
Yeah, Thanksgiving. I don't have a... I mean, my family's rather large, but they're everywhere, right? Like, okay. half my family is, you know, in, in Mexico. You know, a quarter of the family is in California. A quarter of the family is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. And it's just me, Jamal, and my daughter. And yeah. And I'm used to... You know, growing up in Milwaukee, we would get together like on a yes. Saturday to go grill at the park and play soccer, you yes. know, and it's like 20, 25 people just like hanging around at the park. Yes. And so coming here, it was the most isolated I have ever felt in my life. There was no yes. one, no one that would host parties or anything like Like there was nothing, you know, there was no invitation yeah. from any of, of my faculty colleagues to like come hang out at their house for Thanksgiving. And yeah. I was definitely not going to invite them to my house because especially I don't live on campus, right? I live right. in a town adjacent because, uh, well, I can't afford a house in Williamstown. That's the truth. While they live in Williamstown because they've been here 20 years. And so they've they've appreciated in their, you know, yeah. they, they made the right choices by being yeah. here 20 years earlier. And so for me, it was just the sheer sense of loss of having my family around. Mm, and my students mm. have become my family, right? Yeah. And yeah. and so it it didn't feel like I, it was imposing in any way. Like just seeing them excited about my cheap ass 99 cent macaroni. Yes. Like that they could just like hold that memory. Like I was just like, that gives me so much joy. And those have been the best moments. I mean, there's other times where they come over and, you know, and I teach them how to make guacamole. And then they yes. have to fight amongst themselves to make the guacamole, right? Like <laughs> it's just, yeah. So so for me, the holiday feels really sad because I think about how many of my students are currently on campus, yes. isolated because they couldn't return home. And, yes. Or afford to return home, you know, for for three weeks or whatever, and and then Christmas and stuff. Yes. And so yes. it does. It it just feels really crappy right mm. now. So it looks like here we are. You know, we didn't mention this last week because we got all up in our low feelings. Yeah. <laughs> last episode, but this is this feels like a place where we can talk about our five percent change. Yeah. We got Thanksgiving coming up pretty soon. Whether that's like a check in. Or, you know, having some event and just saying, yo, let's have, right? So what can we do before this Thursday? Or is it too late? I don't think it's too late. Neither do I. It's yeah. absolutely not too late. But I yeah. think people do need to step out of their comfort zone. And, you you know, you might think, oh, everybody has family. You, I don't need right. to send them. I'm thankful that you're in my life email. Yes. But yes. why is that so difficult? Like, right. you know, just send that text. Send that, you know, group chat, send yes. that email to your students and tell them that you're thinking about them during these difficult times and you wish them, you know, a good holiday. Yes, I love that. Just I simple. love that. 5%. 5%. Yeah. Yeah. And and let's get real. The the people that are most impacted by this are our students of color. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. And so, yeah. So be a good ally. Well, this reminds me that we've gotten some feedback from folks who are listening to the podcast, which is always surreal because I promise you that I forget that we record half the time, you know, like yes. it feels like it's just you and I a having a conversation. Yeah, right. And then, you know, I'll get the text messages from a friend like, oh my gosh, I agreed with you when you said X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, excuse me. I didn't tell you that, you know? And then they're like, 
Pamela in your podcast. And I was like, oh, oh, that's right. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. so thanks family for, for listening and sending Absolutely. us, you know, competing perspectives. It's, it's so nice to, to think that, you know, maybe we're filling a void in the mathematical community. Yeah, no, that people are listening. Again, I'm just so honored to have listeners because I, I'm becoming more and more aware of how precious people's time is. And so yeah. for people to spend it listening to us, it's like the biggest honor. So, you know, for me, there is a sense of pressure there to try and, you know, make sure that we're not wasting their time. But, you know, yeah. more important than that is for us to continue to try and tell the truth and say things that you won't hear anywhere else in terms of what we need to uncover and centering people of color in this discipline. Yeah, and so I hope that folks also recommend it to, you know, their affinity groups, their reading groups. Yeah. So I, I hope that, you know, they do find it enlightening, entertaining, as a maybe even seeing themselves reflected in the kind of conversation that we have, but but hopefully they also feel free to to share. Yeah, and give us your best ideas. Our minds are open. So if you want us to try something, we will certainly entertain it. I don't know what box I just opened, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we are listening for sure. Yeah, and also know that when we're getting these competing perspectives, I love when I get an email afterwards telling me that you agreed with me or you disagreed with right. me. Because most of the time we we are assigned a side. And yes. so, you know, we just argue that side. And then hopefully at some point we do make it clear where we stand um, on the topic. But most of the time, you know, we, we get assigned our side. Yeah. So, no, and shout out to Robin Wilson, who wrote me an email and just said that he was on your side for the last competing <laughs> perspective. Yeah. Burn well, this thank whole you. Thank down. you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I was like, no, but yeah. But it, you're like, just but that was our my roles. side. <laughs> With, yeah, that's right. <laughs> just playing some roles. That's right. Yeah. Which brings us perfectly yes. to our competing perspective. I think we still are missing some sound effects. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I don't know what sound that we could put for the competing I, I perspective. Either. I don't either. I don't either. Have we been assigned sides yet? I think we're about to flip a coin. Okay, flip great. Flip a coin. Okay. okay. So, all right. So, so tell I, them what it is first before you... Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. great. Great idea. So... <laughs> The competing perspective for this week is us determining whether we should return to our community mm, mm. or not after completing our graduate education. Yes, yes, and yes, so, yes. So we got a lot of people who come from one particular city, and this happened to me. This happened to me just going off to graduate school because I was in D.C., born and raised there, went to undergrad at Howard University, you know, which is still in D.C. But then I left to go to Carnegie Mellon. <clears throat> And yeah, no, you, when you leave your environment, something different happens, right? And when you come back, you come back to a space that you're just like, whoa, this is not, wait, what's changed? Has this place changed or have I changed? And of course, a lot of times those people say, you have, it's you. Mm. <laughs> you're the one who's changed. And so the challenge is there. However, these people have also, you know, contributed to your ability to even go and transform right. your life. Yeah, so... That's what we're about to debate here. That is what we're going to debate. So, okay. So the perspective. All right. So I'm going to flip this coin. Okay. Which is a, a nut. I'm going to trust it's not you. Even a, Wait, should I yeah. actually go get a real coin? No, no. Because this is going to work. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So we're going to say that the return is the heads. So here okay. we go. But which one am I, though? 
I, I was going to be heads. Okay, great. But you get to do the return. So you're okay, going to argue return home, and I'm okay. going to argue do not return home. Okay, great, great, great. So we, I hope everybody understands the situation. You've left, you've gotten successful, quote, in quotes, successful. You left the hood or wherever you're coming from, right? And now the question is, you're now coming out about to start your career or you're now moving on in your career. And then the question is, wait, shouldn't I go back home, help things out, you know, be right. in my neighborhood? That That's the question. Okay. That is the question. Who do you want to go first? I think I should go because I okay. feel like you've already alluded to what you're going to go and say. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So I, I think this conversation from this perspective is, is quite clear. We left for a reason. Mm. There was a lack of opportunities. There was a lack of advancement. And now you have this opportunity. And sometimes by the sheer role that we play in showing that there is a path out of yes. the community is yeah. already just an incredible way to become a role model. Mm-hmm. showing what it is that you can do. And so yeah. we, I, I claim that you can make a huge impact on one's community by pushing forward as much as you can and paving the road. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like the shattering of ceilings. We've just seen it with now having our, you know, president-elect and our VP who is a Black woman. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so that is a perspective that requires us to sometimes not be able to come back because the opportunities don't just magically appear while you're gone. Mm-hmm. So you do have to leave. You go find your Ph.D. You get your tenure track. I mean, let's get real. The, the, the probability that you'll be able to find an opportunity in your community where you left to go get a yes. Ph.D. is it's zero. Yes. So yes. what you're going to do is you're going to cut yourself short because that means that returning, you're probably not going to end up in a position where you get to do a lot of research. Yeah. If you do get to come back, likely what that means is that you're going to have to go to, say, a community college and teach 6-6. And here's the thing that I have very clear in my mind that a mentor of mine once said to me when I said, oh, I want to come back because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to come back and teach at the community college where I started. And and then they said, oh, why do you want to do this kind of work? And I said, because I want to show black and brown kids who they can become, that they can become mathematicians. And he said, oh, wait, let me get this right. You want to show them how you can become mathematicians by not being a mathematician? Mm, Because mm. because if you teach at the community college, you're just teaching. Yeah. And yeah. so it's it's about really paving a way forward in ways that you would not be able to if you came back. Is that a that's theory? what I got? Okay. I, I think okay. that's yeah. that's no. my start. Okay, that's good. That's but I'm good. ready no. to hear your no. argument. Yeah, so that's that, that's powerful. And you know, I I'm not in this case. I, I don't know if I'm so much about substitutions. Like I, I don't think I do know that. I'm convinced, particularly from what you've already said during this podcast, that your presence there as a teacher, and we'll talk about that in just mm-hmm. a second, but as a teacher would have been transformational, right? And that from that, we could have gotten a bunch more people. Yeah, I, the argument of we can, I can influence a ton of people by my absence I, is something that I struggle with, right? So I, so, and I understand how stories get back to where you come from, like, oh, Pamela's doing this, she's doing mm-hmm. that. That That is powerful. 
But there, there is something about that is that you can't replace going back and saying, I'm here and I'm going to build up this place. I do want to be clear, though, that the framing of going back right after you're done does not, you know, I'm not suggesting that you have to do that, right? But I am saying, let us remain connected to the place we came from, right? Mm. That is to say, yeah, so, so that, you know, the going back, you know, is not necessarily let me go there tomorrow, the day after I get my PhD, and just build up shop and try and transform the place, right? right? And, and so also there is this issue of community, right? That, so, to, and we talked about this in another context, that people roll through like they got their PhD on their own and, and not realizing that the community you, come, you came from in so many ways built you up and prepared you to go. Right. Mm. And so for you to go and, you know, benefit from what you got from your community and then to never be in contact with them again, to never, you know, be a part of that community again is, yeah, it's troublesome to me. Right. I mean, there is something about that community is within you today. Mm -hmm. Right. And and they help it helped create something that part of them that is within you helped you be who you are today. And so. In some sense, I'm not suggesting that you have to pay them back, mm-hmm. but if you have the opportunity to connect back with them, it can be transformational for that place. Okay, so this is really interesting to me because I was interpreting the return to your comi- community as a permanent move, right? Not as a like yeah. go back on a weekend during like alumni weekend and give a talk at your mm-hmm. local high school mm-hmm. about your trajectory. I was thinking it more like, you know, you're given an opportunity to now make a choice and you're going to return to your community to become maybe a high school teacher with a PhD or you're right, going to go right. to, you know, three states over yeah. to take a job that has a tremendous amount of privilege. Yes. And so so that's kind of where I was thinking about this perspective, you know, the, the returning permanently as opposed to returning yeah. to, to really be a role model. And so, yeah, yeah. no, and I mean, and I get that, right? And I'm still of the mind that you have to go back to do something. So, but I, I, I think it's too simple to say that you're going to go back to this place and all of a sudden you're condemned to a shit job and a bad situation, right? I think you, I think there, I think that we just need to be creative, right? So all mm. I'm saying is that, and look, I, and I want to honor the fact that people come from very, very different places, right? All I'm saying is please have in mind where you came from, right? And so at all times, right? Because that place, whether you realize it or not, has contributed to where you are. So that I'm always, I'm from D.C. forever, right? I'm from Washington, D.C. forever. And that does not mean that I have to be camped out in D.C. my whole life. But I do have an affinity and a commitment to what's going on in Washington, D.C. for the rest of my life. The D.C. is in me. Right. Mm. And so and I'm never getting rid of that. And nor should I want to. Right. Because I'm here because of D.C. Right. I'm here because of Washington, D.C. for sure. Even though, you know, I go back now, the place looks completely different. It's been gentrified, whatever. Right. You know, that seventh and R, I will will be in my heart for the rest of my life. And so I I do not want to be the person that wants to be like, yo, yeah, I was born in D.C., but I live in Atlanta now and that's it. Right. And then I'm not talking about what Howard meant to me, what and what, you know, Chocolate City meant to me. Right. And being in a place that was called Chocolate City that that validated and verified that, yo, I'm actually in somebody. Yeah. 
How am I not going back there, right? How am I not thinking about that place? And maybe you know, that's part of, of the perspective. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that a ton. And and I wonder how much of the perspective in valuing the return is also very tied to valuing the community. Mm. And so our experiences are are not isomorphic, right? I could be part of this community and maybe some part of the community supported me, but that doesn't mean that there isn't trauma in these places. And I, and I say... I say it with the following example. When we moved from Mexico the first time and we immigrated to California, there was a huge sense of loss of culture. And I mean, even Mm. in Mexico, right? Like living in Mexico afforded me the opportunity to speak Spanish all the time and not have to worry about thinking that somebody was going to call immigration on me. Yes, yes. But when I live in the U.S., that can happen at any point. Yes. And in fact, that was something that would happen quite often as my parents are, you know, working at the factory, no fear factory, which is basically a sweatshop. They couldn't speak Spanish mm. because the second they spoke Spanish, maybe somebody was going to call immigration on them. And so yeah. returning to that community was actually quite triggering and, and very harsh because yeah. how was I going to return there being undocumented? I could be walking yes. down the street and, you know, ISIS would be like, where's your green card? Yes. Right. And so those yes. are things that returning to that community was maybe not mm. the right move. And so leaving and going and finding a better community in which my human rights were going to be <laughs> questioned, right? Not being yes. called illegal yes. every yes. every second that I was somewhere is, is part of the story, too. And so returning oh, there is... Is taxing. Yeah. No, yeah, returning back to a dangerous place. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, so I am thinking about a community that uplifts you. There's no doubt about that, that I'm taking that orientation. If you leave a war zone, no one's asking you to go back to a right. war zone. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a really good point. Yeah. So I, I am thinking, I am thinking about the tradition of of a place where you come from a neighborhood, a set of people who support you outside of your family, who then when you leave are still invested in you, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. And and then, you know, how is it then that you can rectify, you know, moving on when you, when, when there's been, in a lot of ways, an investment mm-hmm. in you doing mm-hmm. well, right? I mean, there's some elements to that, right? This, this notion of that. So that's the space that I came from, right? Yeah. Where I've had some people who have, you know, committed to me and, you know, just, and that's, we're just talking about saying hello and being supportive and, you know, encouraging me to go to school, all of it, right, as neighbors, right? And so checking in with them and coming back and letting them know how I'm doing, all of that's superbly important. But this notion of just getting up, going away, outside of it being, you know, dangerous for you, really thinking about how is it that we can continue to be connected to a place that plays such a role in our development, if that was the case. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think it's difficult. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe that's all I have in arguing to not come back. <laughs> that's right. No, of course, it's complicated. It is complicated. Yeah, super complicated. But, like, but here's the deal. So but let's, let's just be clear. So if, if we're talking about brain drain, right, that mm-hmm. if, if we're talking about everyone just leaving, 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 how did these communities ever get to transform? Right? So yeah. we have to think about, yes, yeah, because the people who, if the people who leave don't and never come back, then who is going to, how is it that we get people in such situations potentially 
you know, to really rise up, right? If they're only hearing stories about somebody who left doing well, right? Yeah. That's so right. that's that's the challenge. But at the same time, I respect your perspective that, you know, there's so th- really we're talking about individualism versus community. That's right. Which is which is, yeah, which is of course the the big challenge that we all have about do I owe anything to the community in which I was born in, or I have the right to do what I want to do yes. exclusively, right? And finding yes. that balance. Yeah. And and I think that that comes down to who you are as a person Absolutely and also right. the experiences you did have in this community. That's right. Because it could be that you were very well supported, but also maybe the community is not one in which you will be able to return to and thrive. That's right. For whatever reasons. And so yeah. I, I think it is a really difficult question. The one yeah. thing, and so maybe now I'm, I'm moving a little bit away from you know, the competing perspectives and and thinking just sort of out loud um, about people who are finding themselves trying to make this decision and thinking about the challenge in that. And one of the things that I I worry about, you know, and, and we've done some programming where this is alluded to very clearly by some graduate students is that the motivation that they carry to continue their PhD program is because they want to return to their community and make a difference. Yes. And so I know... Part of part of what we've talked about in the past, not on the podcast, but that we've had these conversations, which is, you know, sometimes that's not going to be enough of a motivation to, right. to get through, to then get to the point where we do have a PhD and are better able to serve our communities when when and if we decide to return. Yes. And and so that's one of the things that I find challenging as as I was thinking you know, before we were recording about the competing perspective, that yeah. there are people who are making these decisions as we're talking right now. They're applying yes. for jobs, right, in a terrible market during COVID. And they're trying to make a decision about, is this the time when I finally get to return to my community? Because a yes. lot of the times we leave to go get a PhD and we at least, you know, I never left. I mean, I, sh- I should be very clear. I never left. I I did, you know, middle school, high school, all all the way through PhD within a five mile radius. Um, so yeah. I never left. Right. The first yeah. time I left, I didn't understand that I may never come back. Oh, yeah, you know, like no. permanently. No, really? No, I thought I was going to take this job at West Point and eventually somebody would hire me back in Milwaukee. And it's not for lack of trying. I yeah. applied to a job at Marquette University and I didn't get it. Uh-oh. I totally Call them bombed. Out. Call them I told, out. No, I bombed the interview. No, no, no. It's, oh, okay, you know, okay. no, no. I, but I bombed the interview because I wanted that job more than I wanted anything in my life. Mm. Right? I was like, mm. oh my gosh, I, I want to be here. I want to be home. I want to be at this institution whose values, and I've talked about it a little bit ago, right? It was about caring for people. Yes. Like that's yes. who I am at my core having been there. And when that job didn't come through, I don't think I've ever cried not getting a job. But I just yeah. bawled and bawled and bawled. And I was like, there's there's nothing left. Like, that to me yeah. was, you know, my, my coming home. Yes. My, like, being a difference in my community. And so I tried to come back. And yes. it didn't work. And so there's going to be lots of people who are finding themselves in that situation right now that they're applying to jobs. Yeah, this is and, important. And how do we... Oof, I don't even know what to say to them. Like, apply yeah. widely because you never know. But, you know, the job market is yeah, what no, it is. Yeah, no, go where the job is. That's always been the mantra that I was taught. Yeah, I mean, that you just have to deal on the first go around. That you may not get the ideal thing. But, yeah, you just, yeah, do what you can. 
Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, so it's 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 yeah. rough. And I guess I would say, you know, people keep your chin up. Like, keep working. Day by day. Yeah, yes. day by day. And there will always be another job cycle. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I live by that. I'm like, another job. Did Marquette hire this year, right? Like, checking mad jobs every year. Absolutely, absolutely. Because trust me, they open a job, I'm applying. Or maybe now they'll listen to my podcast and try that's to recruit right. me. Yeah, that's right. I was about to say, that's publicity right there. Yeah. So we got a new segment, Tweet of the we, Week. We have a new segment. So what did you see on the Twitterverse? Yeah, so, I mean, we've been getting a lot of Twitter love, right? So I've I've just been digging the Twitter a lot, and I'm on there now more than I ever have been. And so lots of people out there, Marion Dingle. And then we got some love from Everett Howe as well. So we want to just give a shout out to him who said that, you know, he had been in mathematics for some time, but now uh, he's in another discipline. But he's never stopped his love for mathematics and really just, I guess when he was in mathematics, he saw a lot of the issues that we had been talking about. And really, mm. I guess he saw a lot of people who were not doing some truth telling. And that was very frustrating for him. And so I guess for him to listen to us, you know, it was super refreshing for him. And so he he's quoted as saying, don't hold back on the truth. Right. And we hear you 100 percent. That's what we're trying to do. So and you letting us know this uh, really helps us every week. So every we really appreciate that. Yeah. There was also some programs, right? Wasn't there yes. math? Black in Math Week? Does, yes, did no, that happen? Was it last week? That was last week. And shout out to all the organizers there. I know that Dr. Dwight Williams was one of those organizers as well as some others. So being on Twitter now, I got I get to see how it can be used. And you know, people are so inventive, mm-hmm. right? I mean, again, this is just supposed to be however many characters, and yet now people are creating different programming. So if you do a black in math, that might be the hashtag, uh, hashtag black in math. You can then see images of people showing themselves as mathematicians and also being Black people, which is, you know, more powerful than actually I think I realized, right, as I was going through my feed, just seeing person after person. Because it's one of these things that you think you, I mean, we often say that the community is so small, mm-hmm. that you, and therefore you think you know everybody. But there's some That's people true. I had never seen in my life. That's I'm like, amazing. Who is that? Yes. No, it was great. It was just like, oh my God. Like, yeah. So, and just to see people who love the same thing that I love. Like, I, you know, when I was younger growing up in DC, you know, you might imagine that, you know, I, as I already told you, math saved my life as a space where I could go to push out all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was the only one, right. right, who loved math like that. Right. And yeah. so, and so there's been this sense of isolation in loving math. And even today, right, mm-hmm. that I still don't, you know, I talk to people of color, but now to see brand new people that I had never seen before. I love the people I do know who are of color in mm-hmm. math, but like to see a whole new range of people all over the country who are like, yeah, I love math too. It's really something special. Yeah, super powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it addresses this issue that we were talking about earlier, which is the isolation that we often feel when we are one in our department or one of a few in our department. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? Look at all these friends. I've had friends everywhere. And, And given that, you know, unfortunately, most of our experiences in these academic spaces tend to be quite similar. And uh, yes. traumatizing. Yes. Yeah, and that's so, right. That's and right. so there's like a sense of kinship every time that I meet, you know, a mathematician of color. And I'm like, you too, let's talk. Oh my gosh. 
What happened to you? Yeah. Let's, let's process. Yes. Let's do and, you this. Know, let's make it better. And that's that's what I wish people would just listen to. And let's just if for just uh, seventy two seconds. Just let me just be clear about this: that when we say that there's a system that we're fighting against, the evidence that we understand as people of color is when we talk to complete strangers, and the same exact thing is happening across the country. That yeah. I could talk to somebody who's in Los Angeles, who's in some department, and then they and I talk, and I know exactly we're finishing each other's sentences. sentences. That's yeah. right. And so that means that there there is a you know a national a global sense of being that we have to be pushing against that keeps trying to tell us that we don't belong here, that things are rough for us and and all these other things. And so I wish people were just here. Those people who are still skeptical, I hope you understand that that is evidence that complete strangers of color can report to you the same stories over and over again in separate conditions and situations. But even then, they don't believe us. Right. They still want right. examples. That's right. We still have to talk through our pain. That's right. That's yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's, it's rough. But I'm yeah. really happy to hear that that the programming went went well last week. Yeah, I'm also new to, to the whole Twitter stuff. And so apparently I have two accounts. I don't even know what I'm doing with my life. Right. I'm just like, <laughs> somebody tweeted at me. What does that mean? What do I click? I reply? Retweet? Yeah, Love? That. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Press all the buttons. Just press them. That's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so, no. Um, yeah, I'm getting used to the space too, but I know how to write a statement, a tweet, and then uh -huh. send it out, and I know how to reply to one, and yeah, that's just about it, so. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna work on this for sure. <laughs> yes. Are you going to do some spotlights? Yeah, we're going to do some spotlights. So this week, we have an announcement so we want to share our congratulations to Mia Lawrence Davis, who has been named the Association for Women in Mathematics 2021 Service Award winner. Congratulations. Yeah, very Mio. good. All right. We also have some mailbag. So one okay. of the things that came up from listeners was in this conversation, I want to say maybe episode two, we talked a little bit about social capital in the mathematical sciences. And yeah, so yeah. one of the questions that we got is really, what does that look like? Like, what, what do we mean when we talk about social capital? Mm. And might it differ depending on your academic stage? And yes. so that was, that was our question that we got from yeah. our listeners. Yeah, no, I, I've had this conversation with a colleague of mine, Sarah Sword, about social capital, about how there's this invisible connection in Con, you know, series of connections between people that allow information, pertinent information, a lot of times to be transferred through conversation, through emails, whatever it is. And it's tied to, so th these connections are tied to identity, tied to, do you look like me? Tied to, and so lots of ways, you know, this is the way things are, right? We know that when we're talking about jobs in particular, that 80% of the jobs are like gotten through connections. Oh, yes. Right, yes. And so oh, this yeah. is where we're, so that now when you're in, in your workplace or when you're in graduate school and you're trying to figure out what's going on and you look around and you see your colleagues know about this or going to this conference or meeting with this person who's in town today and you're like, well, wait, how? I didn't you know? know that. Yes. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so the question becomes, how is it that we can get in on that, right? 
Yeah, I think, so something really interesting happened to me during my, you know, first and second year at Williams. One of my senior colleagues found out that I liked playing tennis. Yes. And would say, do you want to go play tennis on Tuesday at three or whatever? And and it wasn't often, you know, it was just once in a while. And then I started realizing that in those tennis outings, we had conversations that I might never have had in yes. other settings. And yes. so I began to build social capital. And and really, I mean, I'm using that word, but it feels a little dirty. You know, I, I really mm-hmm. mean, like, we, we began to form a friendship outside of the traditional working relationship of being in a department because we bonded over, like, having a shared love of a sport. And, yeah. but, but I want to offer is that this is precisely what social capital is. Yeah. The fact that someone would invite me to go play tennis with them is yes. the social part of it. The yes. capital is the fact that I got to benefit from yes. that in ways that I might have not anticipated. And, and of course, what that means is that if you're not getting invited to certain things, like some folks don't get invited yeah. because of many reasons, we, yeah. we might be able to list them, race, sexual orientation, gender, you name it. You do miss out on the capital gains that come from those relationships. And yeah. so how do you, you know, how do you build social capital? I think it's really difficult. I think that part of what I have learned is that it might require you to put yourself out there in ways that are uncomfortable. Yeah, this is what I was about to ask about, right? Yeah, and and I don't know that I have a full blown out answer of when it has worked and when it hasn't. But I think, you know, asking people to go to lunch, asking people people to meet you for coffee, and really just building relationships is really what leads to good social capital. But also there's a sense of self-advocating that needs to occur. And that has taken me a long time to come to grips with. Mm. Because, you know, I struggle between valuing being humble and then feeling like I'm just, you know, putting myself out there in ways that are, are you know, it just, it just feels not comfortable. Like, oh, yes. let me tell you all these awards I'm winning, right? Like right. that kind of right. stuff. Like yeah. you have to kind of brag a little bit and that just feels v- very unnatural to me. And yeah. so it, but it requires some level of that because you have to be able to say to someone that you need something, yes. right? Or, oh, I'm really interested in finding out how to use, you know, equitable pedagogy practices in my classroom, might you know of any opportunities? And maybe that person doesn't. And, you know, you move on and you ask somebody else. But maybe that person does find out something a month from now and you want to have enough of a social capital, enough of a relationship that that person will forward you that email. Yes, right. You know, and so it could be, it could start out very, very small like that. And, you know, it takes, how do you build a lot of social capital? You have to build a lot of relationships. And so that is, time-consuming. And so that's why I think, you know, trying to share meals with folks, finding things that you would normally do on your own, but maybe right. you you like hiking, right? Like a lot of my colleagues hike, yeah. you know? And then, and then this kind of thing happens, right? At the water cooler, you have a conversation and yes. you find out that they're all going to, you know, Madrid to a conference. And you're right. like, wait, how y'all, how'd you, oh, y'all went hiking this weekend. Yeah. Because when you're walking for three miles, you talk about a lot of stuff. You talk about a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so I I think we need to get better at 
at building skills that allow us to to strengthen our social capital. We need it. Yeah, but I'm struggling here because, you know, we're already outcasts sometimes as it is, right? I mean, it is just, so what are we talking about? We're not talking about just the hike. We're talking about when everyone wants to go see yes. A Tale of Two Swan, Cities at Swan the movies. Lake. Swan Lake. <laughs> right. Swan Lake. Right. And you try to tell me I got to go see that just so I can hear about some opportunities. God damn it. No, right. I don't want you to go yeah. see Swan so, okay. Lake. Unless you want to go see Swan Lake. Yeah, So, but that's what we're talking about. So it's just like this game we're playing again, right? So we do have to play this game. Yeah, so the hope is that... And by the way, I played this game. I smiled all the way through Carnegie (laughs) Mellon University. (laughs) I'm playing it Let's be clear about that. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, it's one of these things where it's like... How can you find a balance? Because ideally, you would have true, genuine relationships with people. Mm. And then through that, you know, you get to hear all this information, right? I mean, so, but otherwise, if you're already in a place where it's just like, you know, you go in and you don't make these connections initially, then now, you know, you've got to put on your mask and yes. just, you know, be nice and hear, overhear people talking. And when they invite you out, right, then you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll go. And then you just have to be at the mm-hmm. Beatles concert or whatever. But like, yeah, I mean, just <laughs> deal with it. Or karaoke night or whatever it is, right? It's just like, okay, let's just hang out, right? But at the same time, I'm not saying that let's go ahead and like be false either, right? So it's just so difficult because you sometimes you're just in a situation where you know if you act one way, there's punishment. And you act, if you don't act, you know, if you act the other way, then you're not being yourself because maybe you are pissed off and you don't want to hang out with these people, right? So... Yeah. No, it's... The balance is really, really rough. Yeah. I I am the first to admit it. I mean, you know, my, my colleagues host wine tastings. Yes. My yes. colleagues, you know, they do a lot of trivia. Yeah. And, you know, I'll go and yeah. I try, but I am not a trivia person. Like, I just don't right. know shit, you know? Right. Like, I mean, if you're asking me about mariachis, maybe I might know something. You yeah. know, if you ask me, I did get one question right, and I should I should talk shit right now. And Ralph, Ralph, right. I punched him in the <laughs> arm. Because the question was, what very spicy green vegetable is oh. named after a city in the Caribbean? A very spicy green vegetable is named after a city in the Caribbean. What's the city in the Caribbean, yeah? I, I I do not La Havana know. for habanero okay. oh, pepper. Oh wow! Okay, and, I and yeah. Ralph, I know you're listening. Okay, <laughs> your ass went with cayenne, <laughs> and I said to you, Wait. I don't know shit, but I do know my spicy peppers, and we lost, we lost <laughs> Ralph, we lost that point. <laughs> you know, hilarious. and so so I mean, those are. You know, and and the interesting thing is that it does take part of me going out of my comfort zone. I've never in my life gone to a trivia night. Yeah. You know, or I've I never in my life had gone to a bar to just hang out with people. Yes. You know, and so it took it took me doing those kinds of things. But then you know what happened? I I once hosted a pozole party in the basement of our office. Yeah. And they came. Okay. Okay, and they ate food. It wasn't even that good. It was like the worst pozole I'd ever made. But they were like, this is good. And I was like, I know it's not, but y'all eating it. Right, right. So so I think it is this kind of give and take, right? You're not always going to find people, I mean, especially for us being black, brown mathematicians, we're not always going to find people that share the same heritage, same culture in these departments. But I can tell you that I, I adore hanging out with Ralph. Right. Right? Like, yeah. I, 
as much as reset, as much resentment as I just showed because he just right. stole my point from me, my one and only. I we have a ton of fun, right? Like we get to be silly and we get to just like get to know each other, and you know, it's very likely that we'll end up being colleagues for the next thirty years. And so I, I, there's yeah. there's part of it that, you know, I think it has to come. You have to be willing to put yourself out there and really, really, really try to be as authentic as you can. And I think you've said this and I'm holding it so deeply in my heart and close to my heart, which is authenticity wins. Authenticity wins. Right? And so, so I think it is very easy for us to put on our masks, you know, Make sure we try to pronounce everything perfectly all the time. I know I try that really, really hard. You know, we anglicize our names, all of these things, because we're trying to fit in. But then the the problem is that then we fit in not being ourselves. And then you just have to continue that. And so it is it is really difficult. And I'm living through it now that I'm asking people to actually pronounce my name correctly. You know, I just, like, for example, I got a call earlier today from somebody in the department and they kept saying, Pam, and then immediately correcting themselves, you know, and and then like, so there's going to be growing pains. That's really, I guess, what I'm trying to point out, that anytime that you're trying to build relationships with people who are different than you, there's going to be some growing pains. But that doesn't mean that at the other end, there's not going to be something really wonderful. And so, you know, but now Ralph knows that (laughs) is the right answer. Great. Thank you for that. The person who sent this to the mailbag. Again, you can email mu at minoritymath.org for Mathematically Uncensored. Thank you for that. Excellent. Well, we'll end today with some announcements. We want to just remind our listeners to sign up for all of the features of the center. So minoritymath.org. We have a blog, of course, the podcast. And you can also send us some submissions for activities. We're looking to fill out our resource page. Yeah. We also, we're also have a for, position. Go ahead. Yes. go ahead, go ahead. We have a, yeah, we're looking for an assistant producer. If you want to somehow deal with the both of us, then <laughs> <laughs> and you do get paid. You, you do, do get, get paid. paid. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you can always email us at mu at minorityMath.org. Yes. And then we have upcoming events, which is the webinar that we're running through the AMS. So Advocating for Students of Color. Last one. the mathematics community. That's so that's right. And we be... got a surprise too. We do. Oh, for that one. That's right. So that's the we one do. to come to because you won't believe what, what we have happening? for you that one. That's right. Please that's right. come. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wanted to share an announcement for a conference. I'm reading it as our fam. It stands for Online Undergraduate Resource Fair for the Advancement in Academia of Marginalized Mathematicians. So there's some squares that are sitting there, but I believe the the reading version is our fam. And that's happening December 19th, and you can register by the 11th. So if you Google Online Undergraduate Resource Fair for the Advancement in Academia of Marginalized Mathematicians, you will get the hit to register. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, that sounds like number five number in the five books. in the bag. As, as always, it's been a pleasure. Diddle, my friend. You've been listening to Mathematically Uncensored. Where our talk is real and complex, but never discreet. Until next time. Later. Later.